I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common. Go head-to-head to see which one does it better on this week's episodes in the red corner. So I guess you'd like to see the big tamale, huh? Good news! We start this week with an absolutely huge movie as director Roland Emmerich discovers his raison d'etre levelling famous global landmarks. And how... Well, the how in this case is some alien visitors who, for all their technology, failed to invest in a desktop calendar, or they'd have known that the start of July is the worst time to take on mankind. Mankind. That word should have a new meaning for us all after this show. From 1996, it's Independence Day. Police and the fire departments are asking... It is morning. Stay off the phone. You wake up. You greet your loved ones. You grab the morning paper. And although it seems like any ordinary day, it isn't. For one extraordinary reason. historic and unprecedented event is occurring. The question of whether or not we are alone in the universe has been answered. This is so cool. Warships have just arrived over India, England, and Germany. I really don't think they flew 90 billion light years to come down here and start a fight. We've got to stop them! They're going to kill us all! They're using our own satellites against us. The clock is ticking. While in the blue corner, the chances of anything coming from Mars are a million to one, he said. Well, it turns out he was very wrong, idiot. Director Tim Burton throws the movie rulebook out of the window as he assembles an all-star cast to play a whole host of unlikable characters, sometimes two, all facing the threat of an alien invasion from some adorable Martians who, despite their murderous appetites, emerge the real winner. Winners in this movie. Ang, 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 ang. Don't run, we are your friends. From 1996, it's Mars Attacks. What is that? White 
house is coming out live. My fellow Americans, this is a momentous occasion. It is profoundly moving to know there is intelligent life out there. Alien life. And our world will never feel quite the same again. Once you believe. Martians. above fear annihilate kill kill let's not be too rash then you'll be invited hi there are you interested in the white house to meet with a new people it's so perfect that it's happening at the beginning of the new millennium so what connects these two movies and which one does it better let's find out it's clash of the titles release the kraken it's time to kick the tyres and light the fires. Hello, Clash Putters. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. I'm Chris Tilly. So welcome to this week's interstellar war as Independence Day takes on Mars Attacks! Exclamation mark. These were the choices of a one Chris Tilly, a.k.a. Chris Thrilly, his words. Tell us why you picked this pairing for this week's episodes. Uh, because it is the 4th of July this week uh, when this podcast drops. So I thought to celebrate Independence Day, we should talk about Independence Day. And then uh, the film that I thought it should be paired with is Mars Attacks, because I remember that summer, that year really well, where these two films were supposed to be battling each other at the box office and it all ended up a bit strange. And I'm sure we'll get to talking about that. I'm sure we will. So you gave us two clues. Two clues uh, this week. One was announced on the show last week, which was um, Nice Planet Will Take It, which it turned out was the tagline to Mars Attacks. Big clue there. Um, And you used a different one on Twitter. Um, So the clue on Twitter was what, Chris? Spaced Invaders. Spaced Invaders. Now, I think this might have been a little bit of a red herring uh, this week as far as a clue goes. Because, uh, Victoria, when you hear the clue spaced invaders, spaced mm. invaders, what do you think? I think, why did he use a different clue for Twitter? Strange, isn't it? Because um, <laughs> he was so certain. My memory of it is he was absolutely certain that his initial clue was really brilliant. And there was no issue whatsoever with the fact that it's a dead giveaway. Having been told off myself for a very funny gag about a kitchen and a shark. So that's what I thought. A, that wasn't funny. And B, Life Planet Will Take It is an excellent clue. See, what I've done is I've driven people to listen to our podcast rather than just read our Twitter. It's a very clever strategy. A marketing ploy. Very good. You and your scheming. Um, So... Spaced Invaders, though, it makes me think of stoned aliens or weird aliens, Mm. which I think a lot of people on Twitter have gone with. Uh, If you don't follow us on Twitter, we are at ClashPod. Do uh, pop along to our Twitter account uh, or uh, as well as that. And I know I always say this, but it takes two seconds. Please do rate and review us on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts because it makes a huge amount of difference to us. It takes two seconds and it's useful for algorithms. Uh, Good, good algorithms, though. Sexy algorithms. Not bad bad algorithms. Um, So uh, we had some guesses. Spaced Invaders on Twitter. Chaz said, dude, where's my car versus Mars Attacks? Cameron Payne and Liam Johnson went for Mars Attacks versus Paul. Anne Goose said, Spaceballs versus Mars Attacks. Uh, Andy Gaffney, Paul versus Attack the Block. Dorian E, Paul versus The Watch. You see where I'm going with this? A lot of people going for stoned slash weird aliens, Chris. Um, 
But your clue was saved by Steve B, who got from your clue Spaced Invaders, Mars Attacks versus Independence Day. Congratulations, Steve B. Chris, you owe him your life. It's like Prince it's, of Thieves. Well, you could say it was the perfect clue in that one single person got it correct, which is kind of how we want it. <laughs> okay, fine, fine. I, you're not going to back down on this, are you? So, yes, both <laughs> clues were the best clues that could have been possibly given for this show. Uh, right, connections then. Yeah, did you guys spot any other fun connections between these two movies? No, I, uh, I struggled. A, no, I, oh, I struggled a bit with this because obviously the connections, the, the the actual connection is really obvious. So I was trying to think of something fun, uh, and I couldn't. And then all I've come up with is one film where the story is better than the effects, another film where the effects are better than the story. And that's a bit weak. Oh well, it's a good job I'm here, not for the first time. Let me wade <laughs> into this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Apologies. Uh, Let me wade into this. Here I go. Um, So, uh, one connection, Chris. Heroes come in all shapes and sizes of caravan. Huh? Because Randy Quaid Quaid lives on a trailer park. Lucas Haas lives on a trailer park. They're both responsible for the ultimate defeat of the Martians. Uh, Yeah. All right, fine. Um, Fear and loathing near Las Vegas. (laughs) That's very good. Excellent. Oh, that's good. Oh, he lived up to his promise. Uh, There we go. Um, And also, um, just for... um, uh, for for continuity's uh, sake on our little old podcast here, uh, friend of the show, yeah. Frank Welker is another <laughs> connection. I'm so happy you got that, Alex. I was excited <laughs> for you when I spotted the fact that he was involved in both movies. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm trying to think back to the first time we mentioned him. I think it was on our Deep Blue Sea Anaconda episode where we suddenly became aware that 90% of all movie <laughs> monsters are voiced by Frank Welker, who indeed here does the voices for the aliens in both movies um (laughs) chris what's the real connection well i think the mars attacks marketing team summed it up best when they said nice planet we'll take it (laughs) (laughs) oh god (laughs) fine fine it's just no point arguing with you no point um right you gave me mars attacks and you gave victoria independence day they both came out as you said in 1996 but independence day did come out first that summer we do it chronologically so victoria take us on a journey it's a title in search of a movie in 1996's Independence Day, an epic patriotic rom-com alien invasion disaster movie featuring an ensemble cast of non-movie stars, including someone from the world's highest grossing movie to date at the time and the world's future most bankable movie star. More a phenomenon than it is a film, with characters essentially bumping into each other conveniently to move the thin plot along, the president, a satellite, someone and a fighter pilot team up to defeat aliens intent on conquering and destroying the old red white and blue sorry i mean the whole earth (laughs) they succeed through just being really fucking heroic and brave and narrowing their eyes all the time leaving us with a quick montage of flags british accents from world war ii and very recognizable landmarks to quickly signpost that the rest of the world is on board and humanity is saved (laughs) Uh, uh, there's a lot to unpack there victoria a lot to unpack 
Um, I will say I'd love to have been a fly on the wall when Dean Devlin called Jeff Goldblum and went, hi, uh, <laughs> Jeff, got a role for you in my, uh, my new movie. Um, the role is a satellite someone. <laughs> I only know what he I've seen this film three times. I only know what his job is because of Wikipedia. I have no clue what that man's supposed to be doing. <laughs> I mean, that's that's lazy of Wikipedia if it lists him as a satellite somewhere. <laughs> well, the, the key true. to his character, though, you're not even. I don't think you're even supposed to care that the, the key is that he's a maverick because he rides oh, yeah. a bike. He rides a bike <laughs> through the office. He's mad. He's mad. You don't have to be mad to work here, but it helps. <laughs> I got from that that he's so shit hot at his job that he rides a bike through the office and no one goes, get the fuck off your bike. This is an office. <laughs> It's not even that big. It's not like he's like, yeah, but I need to save time to get across the office. It's just one room. <laughs> anyway, um, I didn't mean to sound arch because this is the second or third time I've seen this film. But this this time round, I just thought it was brilliant. <laughs> like normally, when what? it's on, it's like, oh, it's so long. I can't Sorry, be Vicky. bothered. I- I feel like yeah. you just did one of the most negative introductions we've ever had. <laughs> I know. And you've done a really, really rapid <laughs> switch around here. Yeah, but uh-huh. I, the thing is, you know, I don't know how else to be funny if it's not just being mean. And I don't feel comfortable unless I think I'm being funny. That's I, that, just being really honest there. But I really like this. That's, wow. I feel that that should have been said on the very first episode of Clash of the Titles. <laughs> just, so, just so you're both clear, I only feel... I feel comfortable when I'm being funny and I'm only funny when I'm mean. So, hello, I'm Victoria. I know. But but credit to me, though, for being so honest and looking inside myself and being upfront about it. No. Is this why listeners think that you and I don't like each other, Vicky? Is this the key to it? (laughs) Because I'm so mean to you, is that what you mean? You're mean to me as well. Yeah. For the record, I love Vicky. Oh, good. Well, I'm glad we've sorted out those issues. We're looking at worldwide destruction in the next 36 hours. Oh, you can't hit nothing! Fast enough, get him out of there! Should we win the day, the 4th of July will no longer be known as an American holiday. But as the day when the world declared in one voice, we will not go quietly into the night, we will not vanish without a fight, we're going to live on, we're going to survive. Today, we celebrate our Independence Day. That's what I call a close encounter. So you've seen what? This movie like uh, uh, three times, did you say, Victoria? Yeah, but I think it's the sort of film that everyone's seen a few times. What about you? Um, I have seen it uh, more than a few times. I've seen this movie. I don't remember when I first saw it. I remember seeing the billboard um, in Leeds uh, as a kid and going, I must see that movie. Don't know when I actually first saw it. But since then, I've watched it, I would say, in the region of 15 times. Um, This is... (laughs) This is a big movie for me. This is on my duvet day permanent list. It is never going to be removed from, I don't feel good today. What is my warm duvet of a movie that I'm going to wrap myself in? And it's Independence Day. And it's it's got to the point with this movie where 
there are lines that are delivered by characters in this movie that I genuinely think are the absolute perfect reading of that line. There could never be a better <laughs> reading of that line. And that, I thought, that's because it's just the best reading of that line. I think it's because I've seen this movie so many times, I cannot imagine it being said any other way. Like the bit on Air Force One, for example, this is when I thought this thought, watching it this time. The bit on Air Force One, when they're talking about Area 51 and the president's guy, and there's no aliens on Area 51. We haven't got any aliens there. And James Rebhorn, his Secretary of Defense, goes... That's not entirely accurate. I'm like, oh, that's the best reading that line could ever have in the history of movie making. So I like this movie a lot. Good. Um, that's good. Chris, what about you? I think I'm the same as you, Vicky, three or four times. I think I've watched this. I definitely saw it in the cinema that summer in 96, but I can't remember it that well. That was the year I left school and was off to uni. And I think films weren't sort of front and center of my mind that summer so it's not it's not a great memory of a theatrical watch but i know i know i enjoyed it i'm sure of that and yeah i've yeah. seen it probably once or twice on tv uh in the background before yeah. revisiting so it this week you were you you were off to uni then so for when this movie came out so i'd have been i'd have been in primary school so mm. it probably had a bigger impact um mm. on me uh, as a as a as a a young boy but yeah okay there's a different step so uh let me give you a bit of background um this is a script by our old friends dean devlin and roland emmerich which if you're a fan of shite you'll know from universal <laughs> soldier <laughs> which unbelievably and she's back she's back <laughs> I feel like enough time has passed that when we did Demolition Man and Universal Soldier, I just hated Universal Soldier so much. I'm really sorry. It's rubbish. Um, but improbably, it did okay. And then the two of them did Stargate, and that did brilliantly well and made back about four times its budget. So that gave them the space within the Hollywood system that you would need to be able to pitch something as ginormous as Independence Day. However... Roland Emmerich was told to forget about it because Tim Burton was doing Mars Attacks. Um, it was slated to come out that August. And so rather than, I mean, <laughs> you could do the honourable thing at that point and go, oh, okay, he beat us to it. Never mind. What else are we working on? But instead, hmm. they decided to beat him to it and they wanted it to come out on the 4th of July weekend. And so they had to call it Independence Day to sort of force the hand of the studio. Um, I think they were just going to park the title and say, we'll just come up with something better later. And then didn't. And then it was Independence Day. And by naming it after the holiday, it forced it through, which yeah. if you were Tim Burton, I don't know how you'd feel about that. It's um, quite an interesting story, though. I, I, if it's to be believed, like it was going to be called Doomsday. And then they wanted it to be called Independence Day and they didn't have the rights for Independence Day. And so the big speech, Bill Pullman's big speech that he delivers, didn't make reference to Independence Day. And they tagged that bit on the end. Today will, will be a global Independence Day. I can't remember the exact lines. And by having that and then showing that to Fox, they went, oh, look at that. Even the president's talking about independent. Our, our fictional president is talking about Independence Day. You're going to have to get us the rights. And, and Fox went ahead and got them. I'm I'm amazed yeah. that you can buy the rights to a national holiday. I, it just mm -hmm. seems weird. It's like buying the right, owning the rights to I, Christmas Day. <laughs> but I don't think I think wasn't I think there was another movie called Independence Day that yeah. I think it was Warner Brothers had the rights to. Oh, you mean how it was bought originally? Right? Well, just yeah. How no, you can own the point. name? I mean, you can call a film Independence Day, but the, to to stop someone else doing it, I just find that weird. It's like stopping someone from calling a movie Easter or. 
you know, Mother's Day or yeah. whatever. And where would we where where would we be without <laughs> Valentine's Day? That film, that was you know. Can you imagine if that hadn't been made? There'd be a big hole in my cinematic life. I love the Easter franchise. <laughs> <laughs> That's because you're a Catholic. Um, <laughs> So uh, a little bit about casting. It's well known, I think, that um, they didn't want it to be a big starry movie because the film itself, you know, the, the the hook of the film itself was considered the star, and that at the time it wasn't it wasn't such a big deal. You didn't necessarily need to have a big name, so they went out to people that weren't considered to be huge movie stars. But having just talked about Jeff Goldblum and how upset he might have been at being described as a satellite something. What has mm. that man got to do to be considered like bankable? Like he's just <laughs> been in Jurassic Park and someone rings it, which was the highest grossing film today at the time. And someone rings him and says, we're looking for non-stars, so we've come to you. Like, what? What? Anyway. This was, you know what? This was a debate no. that was on our sister uh, show, The Football Ramble, about whether, years ago now, whether Jeff Goldblum's an A-lister or a B-lister. And I think mm. it is a good question because I guess the A-lister is considered someone that can open a movie. And the argument would be that maybe no one goes to see a movie just because Jeff Goldblum's in it. They've gone to see the dinosaurs or the fly or the aliens invading. And if it was just him without these things around him, would he open a movie? Maybe not. Therefore, is he an A-lister? But 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 but, but what is the kind of person who can open a movie, especially anymore? I mean, you look at... Uh, look, I mean, Tom Cruise is still a bankable movie star in the sense that his name above a title, you know, like Mission Impossible. But, you know, people are going to see the stunts in that movie, for example. Yeah, that's a different debate, though, now. But we're talking about 1994. I mean, this this was part of the shift that, the shift that happened was Independence Day. Yeah. From, from, from stars to effects. But at the time, you know, this has turned Will Smith into an A-lister. Um, and because I, I also I spoke to I went out on the set of Independence Day two and we were talking about the fact that I asked Emmerich about the fact that Will Smith wasn't in it and he tried to frame it as a as like a positive, saying that the idea behind Independence Day is because there's no big stars in it the audience doesn't know who's going to die first and who's going to die next and by by having Will Smith now in it now he's a global megastar it would unbalance the whole thing and I'm. Yeah, you know, I smiled and nodded, but in my head I'm thinking, that's bullshit. If Will Smith had said yes, you would definitely have him in this sequel. <laughs> it's, a, it's a weird one, though, isn't it? Because I, I think... We'll get on to it. No, I was, about to, I was about to go too early on a point that I have for much later in this episode when we come to the bit, so a little too early there. I'll hold off. I'll hold off. Carry on. Carry on. Okay, well, as everyone knows, it was a huge, huge success. Um, it made around $100 million around sort of like six days or a week after it opened. But the marketing is thought to be a very large part of that. So they ran, this is this is something, you, you wouldn't do this now, which I suppose is a shame, but um, they ran a commercial in the Super Bowl that said, enjoy the Super Bowl, it may be your last, which is just amazing. <laughs> I think it's incredible. Um, and then they had like some trailers showing, well, you, you definitely wouldn't do this now, but like showing the New York skyline collapsing and things like that. So it just created a lot of buzz and that plus the tie to the holiday just made it irresistible. And I think it's surprising. I think it's surprising because of the length of the film. Like 
I think if it was in if it was in at 90 minutes, you I don't even know if you would not by now, but like even more people would have rushed to see it without a marketing campaign that was so effective. But it's two and a half hours. <laughs> That's a long time. <laughs> it's um it's funny what you say. I mean, I think Fox spent around like over 20, 20 million on marketing the movie, uh, including like nearly t- uh, one and a half million dollars for that Super Bowl trailer, which uh, in 1996 was just the biggest amount of money to spend marketing a movie. Uh, but I love this quote from their, their head of marketing described Independence Day's media assault as a campaign that P.T. Barnum would have been proud of. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I remember this is, and it was before we had sort of internet, high-speed internet in the home. And if you hadn't gone to the cinema, you didn't see this trailer. But I remember it was literally a news story. You'd read about this in newspaper and the magazines. A, what was in the trailer and B, what an effect it was having on audiences, which that's the kind of publicity you can't buy. Although mm. I guess they, I think, you could say they did by spending all that money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you, you can pay yeah. money for it. Yeah, but I understand the point. Yes. Yeah. Um, so shall we get into the film or have I missed anything? Let's do it. I mean, uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to get into this film and to talk about Jeff Goldblum. Uh, <laughs> um, a list to Jeff Goldblum playing a satellite someone. Let's do this. <laughs> All right, so um, this is a film that takes place over three days, 2nd, 3rd and 4th of July, which I noticed all of my own accord, (laughs) I didn't steal this from anyone, that that uh, maps out the three-act structure of the film. Did you notice? Yeah, script fans. Clever. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. So the the first act turning point is at the end of the 2nd July, the second act turning point at the end of the 3rd, and act three is over the 4th of July. Yes, that's Never. that's real. I, I, do you know what? I didn't notice that. Full disclosure, no notice. But How, great. I mean, you've seen it fifteen times, so I could be wrong. But if I'm wrong, that's what they should have done because that's better. <laughs> so. I mean, I'm 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 too emotional when I'm watching this movie to pick out things like structure. So I'm just going to say yes. That's absolutely yeah. right. I mean, I, I can't tell. I didn't even see the Aston of July the second appear on screen because I was already crying at the beauty <laughs> of this film. My I, my vision was blurred. <laughs> So we quickly established that there's something coming towards Earth, but it's not a meteor because we had those films already the year before and you can't do them again. Um, and we pick up our... So this Wait, is an ons- which... Oh, we didn't. Wait, what? Which, what, like, which movies are the meteor? Uh, Armageddon and... No, that's, they're much later. They're are they not the year inspired. before? What? No, they're 1998, I think Armageddon was. 97, 98. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because this was... Uh, this is this movie's attributed to um, like it, this, the, the genesis of the disaster movie is that in part makes more sense. I'm mortified, even though I've yeah. spent like hours of my life talking about those films with you. <laughs> I thought they came out in 1995. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're two years away, we're two years away from a couple of films that were um. That we then make a podcast about so you two could get the result wrong. <laughs> oh, dear. God, it's that mm. sort of veracity that I think is why you know I'm what? here. That's why I'm here. <laughs> Do you know what? Just to uh, just to move on and gloss over this embarrassment, I, I, I can see potentially why you might have made that jump because the start of this 
when like they're they're basically saying something's happening, something's happening, and the sort of spiraling shots of New York and Washington DC, and the way the screen just goes, bang, Statue of Liberty, bang, giant spacecraft, bang. I'm like, this is pure Michael Bay. And yeah. then I realized that he he'd only done bad boys at this point. He'd got one feature to his name the year before. So you are I was watching this going, it's just like Armageddon. And I th- I did think for a moment, oh, Roman Emmerich, Roman Emmerich is, is borrowing from Michael Bay. He's not. He's basically giving Michael Bay ideas for how to shoot Armageddon. Oh, you are kind. So I was sort of right, just the wrong the wrong way around, but like sort of right. Okay, great. Mm. Um, <laughs> so let's, um, we'll talk about our cast. So we've got Jeff Goldblum as a, a satellite technician who is trying to reconnect with his ex-wife, played by Margaret Collin, who works for Bill Pullman, who's the president. Uh, we've got Will Smith as a fighter pilot. Randy Quaid, we'll I'll come on to this, but just as some sort of like, drunk Vietnam vet, very traumatized by his experiences, but also a pilot. Um, mm. And I would like to talk about, I mean, there's, there's, it's a two and a half hour film, but I think most people know what happens in this film. So I was going to focus more on like the little things that I think make it work rather than bang, we blow up LA and pow, we blow up New York. Cause those are, those are amazing things, but I think they're well, well trod. Is that all right? I mean, okay. I'll 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 jump in, I'll jump in with those bits if that's all right because they're amazing. But okay, yeah, let's, you do the little bits, and I'll I'll occasionally go and then. But you yeah, because it's a very bombastic film, but I think it's the little things that elevate it to. Because and actually, I have to say, I don't think some of the effects are that good. Like I know that they wanted to get the cost down, that the effects were going to be one of the largest expenses of this film, and um, Industrial Light and Magic were looking at about one hundred and fifty thousand dollars per shot. But apparently, Roland Emmerich got some German film students and knocked that right down to forty grand a shot. And I think there are moments where it's really obvious <laughs> that you can tell Jeez. that they didn't spend oh, the money. I'm the opposite. Like I honestly think this this was when CGI was still really expensive, which is why he turned to model work. And I, I love it. I honestly think this is one of the last great movies which combines CGI and model work brilliantly and isn't just a CGI overload where you're like, meh, like there's not, nothing's real. Like even mm. as a model, nothing, nothing's real. And like you have, you're more engaged in the action in this than you are when you just know everything's fake. I, I, thought, I think that anyway. I think that where it looks like a model, it looks like little cardboard boxes of skyscrapers. I thought it looked bad, um, but you know. What yeah, I, I just think I, the, the, the bit where the ember, we're already talking about one of the bits you wanted to skim over. But nevertheless, <laughs> the, bit where, the bit where the Empire State Building goes like goes up floor by floor and you're just like, it's, I honestly, in the White House, it's, it's still like, it still moves me. That whole sequence, the destruction moves me a lot. Yeah. A great deal. Well, I think it's fair to say they didn't take their eye off the ball in the writing with the smaller things to hammer home the like the enormity of what was happening. So these are tiny little things, but for some reason I just really got on with it. So when we're on the sub and the alien ship is coming into land, a sort of well, it's going to hover, but like coming into our sky. And someone on the submarine says, look at this, look at the infrared. And normally on an infrared detector, you'd have a little red dot, but the whole thing has gone red. I was like, that is such a cheap, effective, fun way of being like, this thing is massive. I really yeah. like that. I think it's brilliant. Yeah. Um, 
When yeah. Will Bigger Smith... is not always better, though. Uh, did you ever... I doubt you bothered with Independence Day Resurgence, and this, I think, maybe it's only mentioned on the show. But in, in theory, you go, wow, the alien ships were big in Independence Day. Let's just make them bigger. It's ridiculous. <laughs> like Independence Day Resurgence, the ship is so big, I think it like traverses the entire Atlantic Ocean. And you're like, what? Yeah, what? that doesn't make That's sense, too- does it? It's too big. There's, there's, there's such a thing as too big. I've, because that's I've the thing told. with... Ha-ha, you're funny. Ah, um, yeah. <laughs> human beings can't... <laughs> Chris liked it. <laughs> <laughs> I can hear him chuckling. Like, yeah, yeah. More penis jokes, please. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway. Um, what was I saying? Um so we waste a bit of time in this film fucking around deciding whether or not the aliens are friendly, uh, which Bill Pullman as president gives a little bit of traction to because he doesn't evacuate the major cities. Then they blow them up. And then to me, that feels like this film kind of starts properly and we're off. Um, but I would like to talk about Jeff Goldblum. And I know you would too, Alex, and the romantic comedy element of this film, because it's one of the best bits. What do you think? Um. I, well, I will. I'll just say this. I, it, it, I like Jeff Goldblum's character, and um, because he is obviously obsessed with saving the, the planet, um, which is kind of funny because he voiced um, a character called Verminous Scum, who was a villain in the '90s cartoon Captain Pal- Planet. Remember Captain Planet? Yeah, he was a voice in Captain Planet, and. Um, his character wanted the opposite of saving the world. And um, there was another voice in Captain Planet who uh, voiced Dr. Blight's supercomputer Mal. Great joke. Oh, here we go. And, here, we um... go. here we go. Drum roll, please. <laughs> oh, God, no. Oh, no. What? Are you going to say what I think you're going to say? <laughs> <laughs> and the, the, the voice of Dr. Blight's evil supercomputer Mal on, on Captain Planet that Jeff Goldblum was in as well. Frank so Welker. Connection. <laughs> uh, it was close, close. Another friend of the show, Tim Curry. This oh, week's obligatory Tim Curry <laughs> reference is clapping. now complete. More. <laughs> we need a, we need Every- a bell. We do need a bell. <laughs> Everyone relax. I know a lot of people have been sitting waiting to get into the talk about Independence Day, but knowing that was coming, it's done. We can all move on happily in the knowledge that Tim Curry got his mention. Please carry on, Victoria. Oh, yes, we were talking about Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, yeah. I love it. And I think Mar- I think it makes what makes it is Margaret Collin. She's um, fantastic in this film, really great as his not-divorced ex-wife. Mm, they're brilliant. They, they've got this pure rom-com. They spark, but they hate each other. It's missing, which to, is to its detriment, the old reach-around that's not a reach-around where he teaches her how to use a satellite oh, or whatever. You've been but... talking about this, Vicky. You're not allowed to call it a reach-around. <laughs> but she does wear what I think is one of his old shirts, so that's a big tick from a rom-com perspective later it would have been It would have been a hell of a reach-around moment if the reach-around had been showing her how to use use a satellite <laughs> you, you just uh, you just put your hand here on this solar panel there are so many options when he's like there's a satellite here do, when he does that drawing of the world to show Bill Pum it's here here and here and then she could lean over and be like what's that and then he takes her hand for no reason and makes her join the dots with the pencil or the pen bang mm. rom-com you're welcome but- it's almost a, a reach around, not reach around moment in tone where he, he is explaining how satellites work to President Bill Pullman <laughs> at one point. And it's, and I, you see what the script is trying to do. It's trying to show that the president isn't just like a politician. Like he, he knows stuff as well. Because when 
like Jeff Goldman's guy and so the satellites are, are communicating with each other and they, <laughs> yeah. need to, they need to go around the globe. And Bill Pullman, in all seriousness, in a proper, like he's forgotten he's in Independence Day, he still thinks he's in Spaceballs as Lone Star, goes, goes, you're talking about line of sight. Mm. And you're like, oh, for God's sake. Well, yeah, <laughs> then thing, like, like, yeah. I've said that I hate where the Back to the Future 2 moment where Dot Brown pulls out the, the blackboard and the chalk to explain the plot, not just to the character, but mm. to the audience. And I always think you've done something wrong with your plot if you've got to, put, you've, if you've got to get into that level of detail. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'd also argue that who at this point, when there's an alien ship hovering over Washington, D.C., is going... But how do satellites communicate with each other? Is it live sight? Could someone could someone confirm? Um, but, do you know but, what but, I think was going on with the writing? I'm being kinder on this scene. I think, bear in mind, we just had the moment where we established that Margaret Collin was sort of, she was accused of having an affair with Bull Pullman by her husband, Jeff Goldblum. So there's a little bit of a triangle going on and some jealousy. And the line of sight line is to, for Bill Pullman saying to Jeff Goldblum, I'm not just stupid yet. I know shit that impresses her. So back off. That's well, yeah, because we, also in that scene, we've just found out that Goldblum, because of this jealousy, actually punched the president in the face, which is yeah. a, lovely, a lovely bit of business and detail just sort of to make it a bit more juicy, the, the drama on Earth. Yeah, mm. exactly. And you've oh, you've also got Judge Hirsch hanging around in that moment. Oh going, my god, I uh, love him! It's so brilliant. <laughs> so his his outside of Jeff Goldblum's relationship with Margaret Collin, his relationship with Judge Hirsch's dad is fantastic and so believable. And yeah. I think a lot of that is down to the fact that they improvised so much of that dialogue. And you can tell you just it sort of it sparked in a different way to a lot of the written dialogue, which mm. isn't to say the written dialogue is bad. It's just it's got that authenticity. The moment when Jeff Goldblum's at the desk in the Oval Office and Judd Hirsch is like, um, you know, see if they've um, see if they've got some of those uh, some of those pens that they give away. And you're like, <laughs> such a such a weird line. Like, like, it's funny that the idea that they're trying to steal pens and the idea that the White House has pens that they give away that I wasn't even aware of. It's great. It's a great moment you weren't aware of even though you've been there like four times <laughs> what do you mean they never gave me a pen <laughs> no, well i just, <laughs> just when i was in the oval office there was no conversation about pens you know yeah. i was there i was explaining line of sight to donald trump he didn't get it yeah. at all is this when you're a pen salesman you're like oh shit you're not giving away them for free are you that is my nightmare <laughs> i take 20 percent of each of those pens you sell read my lips you sell <laughs> No, and you were a businessman. You said Trump. You were a businessman. Sell. Oh dear. Um, I want to quickly talk about Harry Connick Jr. But just so we can say, kick the tires and light the fires. But you've already said it. But that's a hell of a line. It's. It's a great line, although I imagine that's not your favourite line, Victoria. I, I thought your favourite line uh, from Harry Connick Jr. Uh, might be, uh, we don't light up till the fat lady sings, is what Will Smith says, at which point Harry Connick Jr. says, I'm all in, brother. <laughs> so I watched that line and I was like, what What does he mean does he when mean? he says, I'm all what does in? He mean? <laughs> What's he... <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's a good point. What year? His his penis. (laughs) Has Junior got inside the body? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, now, um, that's a... Oh, shit. What year was Full Monty? See, you know I'm not very good with years. What year was Full Monty? (laughs) It was after Independence Day. So, I mean, uh, maybe uh, they were watching this and maybe they thought... 
I'm, I'm confused by the I'm all in <laughs> reference. Um, no, uh, I, I think he just means he's, he's up for it this time. Language is malleable. It's just, you know, people say one thing and mean another. Um, it's fine. And you, um, you have to be malleable to be all To be in. all in. I'd help <laughs> him with it. Um, now. Oh, wait, come on. I would. I'm sorry, but I would. Um, G- G- really Harry s- Connie Jr. is great, isn't he? He's, he's amazing. I, 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 so it's good. really sad when he dies. Like he dies so abruptly. Mm. It's really sad. Which is good. Abrupt deaths are great. Like, so, like, like. Oh my god! Anyone can die. That's great. Do you know who's going to play that role? Matthew Perry, our friend's fame, really? uh, was up for that role, but dropped out. Uh, which means only his dad, Daddy Perry, uh, as he's called, uh, is in the movie. <laughs> he plays. Um, he plays the first lady secret service guy. So yeah, a little fact for you there. That's great. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Join me, Pete Donaldson, and Japan-based YouTuber Chris Broad every Wednesday as we offer the lowdown on what's happening in one of the most unique and exciting countries in the world. The Abroad in Japan podcast is home to all things Japan, from things to do... So today we've come to you guys with 12 places in Japan that nobody knows about. ...to the bizarre... When I moved into my new apartment last year, the police guy came to my door, mm. knocked on my door, I opened it, it was a policeman, and he said to me, in English, I am Japanese policeman. <laughs> and I went, that's the best introduction you could possibly do as a Japanese policeman. <laughs> to the downright filthy. And for those of you who don't know what a Tenga is, Pete and I did discuss how to describe it best before doing the podcast and I'll let Pete describe what a tenger is. What is it, Pete? It's a solo male silicon-based ordinance's aid, so to speak. Brilliant. New episodes every single Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Abroad in Japan is a Stakhanov production. Moving on, Will Smith as a fighter pilot. Will Smith is brilliant in this film, um, but then he gets a big scene where he's like outrunning with the smaller alien ships 
Um, little uh, irksome thing here. He's sort of whooping at the alien ship, like as in I'm going to win this race. Either fires something or sort of shoots past the alien, but then looks behind him, and he looks behind him a lot. And are there rear windows on a fighter jet? <laughs> Why are you looking behind you constantly? There are. Oh, no, God. <laughs> I never thought of that. That's. Yeah, yeah, I guess, I guess, I mean, it, you know, artistic license and all that, it's a great, it's, it adds to the scene, though, the idea that he's like, it's right behind me. I'm like, it yeah. must be because you're looking over your shoulder. <laughs> yeah, like he's on a bike. <laughs> um, I, so the alien ship crashes, and this bit is ridiculous. Uh, Will Smith punches an alien in the face and knocks it out or something, which is bonkers. Oh, uh... By by ridiculous, do you mean one of the greatest moments in the film? Because just... it is fact. It, it just it just is. If he just punched an alien, you'd be like, oh no no no, I'm not sure. But the fact he punches the alien says welcome to Earth, <laughs> then sits down and has a cigar and says the best line in the film. Now that's what I call a close encounter. It is, <laughs> as you'd say in cinema parlance, perfect. It's brilliant. <laughs> and you know what it is. I think it's because Will Smith, out of everyone in the film, and there's a lot of great like um, roles, characters, actors, the cast are great, and they deliver what they deliver well. Will Smith embodies exactly, exactly the tone of this movie and it, the tone of the movies that were going to come after this, these blockbuster films that he became such a linchpin of. It's... It's because he delivers, like he, or he, the way he delivers stuff and his charm is like, I know this is ridiculous. I am taking the piss. I am saying to an alien, welcome to Earth after I've punched it. I'm saying that's what I call a close encounter. And yet you give me some emotion and I will buy into that emotion like this is really happening. Like this is the end of the world. And by having a foot in both camps, like he is Mr. Blockbuster. Like yeah. and it works for me completely. Agreed. Agreed. It feels like he's having fun uh, here and you as the audience feel like you're having fun. And I think that's when Will Smith works best. Like if that film that didn't work, After Earth, you had a miserable oh Will Smith and you had him sitting in a cockpit for a lot of the film sort of being depressed. And that audiences yeah. just don't want to see that. This is when we all realised uh, this is the Will Smith we want to see on screen. And it, in that scene, you see a TV star turn into a movie star in front of your eyes. Yes, Absolutely. And the weird thing about After Earth is because we're so not used to seeing Will Smith like that, like you sort of go, well, something must have been wrong on set. There's no way Will would just be like that in a role. He must have been pissed off about something else. I wonder what the food was like on that <laughs> set because there's something happening off screen that is making him in a bad mood. <laughs> um, and then we are into the Area 51 and the plausible deniability storyline, which is which is ostensibly to make sure we get an alien spaceship f to fight the aliens with and to bring all the characters together, which is the the thing I was a bit snarky about, about people sort of bumping into each other. But um, Roland Emmerich, I think Bill Pullman as well, describe it as like the fable element of this story because it, it's, yeah, it's very convenient, but we're telling a fable, so it kind of doesn't matter. And I have to say, I just bought it. I don't mind. Like everyone converges in Area 51 sort of through coincidental acts and it doesn't matter. I don't care a bit because everyone is so much fun and there's so much stuff going on. Um, yeah, my only, um, before we get on to it, I really want to talk about the technology and the virus. I want to give five seconds to the president's wife because she's cruelly underserved by this film. Yeah. Um, her yeah. whole, it's ridiculous. 
her whole arc she apologizes to a stripper she apologizes to her husband and then she dies that's bullshit she she dies from some sort of oh she's got internal injuries that we can't fix but she can still talk long enough to say sorry to you for not listening to you because now i'm going to die <laughs> which is a bit much <laughs> uh, I, I i i think her her arc being so awful is exacerbated by the fact that both Margaret Collin and uh, Vivica Fox are given good stuff to do at the start. And yet uh, of the female characters, yes. she isn't. She isn't at all. And that bit that you're talking about where she dies, I mean, it, it, it's got a bit of ridiculous scripting as well there because as she's dying, um, he says to his wife, the doctors think you're going to be fine. He Like he literally... <laughs> He lies to her face. Thank God she goes, I can tell when you're lying, like, because, you know, I'm your wife and we have that relationship and that was a lie and I'm going to die and I know that. Because if she went, oh, brilliant, I'm not dying. Fantastic! I honestly thought I was a a goner there because of the internal bleeding that I've heard people talking about, but you're saying I'm going to be fine. Wonderful. (laughs) Also, she's the patient and she's clearly compass mentors. So she would be given that information herself. Like, just because you marry someone, pay attention, doesn't mean that you, that, yeah, the medical profession bypasses the patient and goes straight to the husband, capital A. Were you, were you, cool, were you cool with the president leaving the, when, when it's clear the White House is going to be blown up, he leaves without yeah. her? Were you cool with that? She's not there, though, no. is she? She's in yeah, a different she's... city. I thought that. She's somewhere mm. else. Like, She's in Los Angeles, which is how yeah. Vinica Fox ends up uh, bumping into Why her in the, in the rubble. God. Well, that's what she, she was... said because she, she didn't listen to her husband because he told her not Clearly to be I in Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, maybe I'll put you on the list. All the women in my family, any information about from medical professionals comes through me. So I'll add you to that <laughs> list, Chris. Any, any medical information relating to your life, I'll have come to me and I'll announce it to you at the right time, in the right circumstance, in the right tone. Normally, guess what? This is hilarious. <laughs> are you, are you uh, the, the Area 51 bit, just before we leave that, are you a, are you a Star Trek fan? Alex. And oh my so, god! <laughs> if so, did you know that Brett Spiner was in this film? Because I certainly didn't know, having watched it, that he was in this film. Uh, as a doctor, as the the wonderfully named Doctor Brackish Oakham. Uh, <laughs> yes, I do remember Brett Spiner uh, being in this in this movie, and I'm 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 always pleased to to see him in this movie. Uh, he's a, he's a fairly broadly drawn scientist. Yes. I mean, I I just I just wrote down I just wrote down. Shouldn't he be in Mars Attacks? It feels like he's in the wrong film. <laughs> Yeah, but he does provide a bit of levity in those acts when we've just had like the dead wife and the yeah. and he, he, he you know you're trying to be sold. This is so exciting and so fantastic, and he does that very well. Yeah, I really. Do you know what I really like? The film gives a really lovely moment. Um, you know, um, oh my god, Adam Adam Baldwin who plays uh, Major Mitchell. Um, yeah who I never, I didn't put two and two together, but obviously he's Jane from Serenity and Firefly. I hadn't realised that this is before he was Jane in those, in that film and TV show. But his relationship with Dr. Brackish Oaken, <laughs> and when Dr. Brackish Oaken is killed and Major Mitchell enters the room after he shot the alien and he sees Brett Spiner on the floor dead, there's a really touching moment there. Like, I mean... Admittedly, the touching moment ends with him blasting the shit out of the alien with his revolver several times, possibly more than necessary. But the fact that he's so 
upset at this guy's death. It's sort of like his military demeanor breaks down and he's like, that guy was my friend. I'm going to put more bullets in you. It's really good. It is really good. It was only ruined for me when he says, after Brent Spine has been killed, is this glass, the glass behind which they're doing an alien autopsy, is this glass bulletproof? (laughs) And he goes, no. And it's like, maybe it should be bulletproof because there's an alien in there and it could be made of bullets (laughs) for all you fucking know. (laughs) (laughs) There's um, there's a really, really funny moment, um, which I only saw this time, after Bill Pullman's mind gets like, we are by the alien's (laughs) telepathy. Um, and he's sort of reeling from it. If you, I had to watch it twice, and I've never noticed it in all my previous 15 watches. Um, he sort of reels and smacks Robert Loggia, uh, the guy, um, the, uh, the, the actor who plays um, the other military guy, the older mm. guy. Um, is it Loggia or Loggia? Uh, on the commentary, um, they call him Robert Loggia. Lozier, well, there you go. That's much better. A uh, very famous Robert Lozier, uh, who um, who gets whacked on the head. Bill Pullman really cracks him, and they've left it in. You should watch it. He gets a wallop on the head. I will I mean, do. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I've, I'm starting to realise that it's only because I've seen the movie so many times and not noticed it that that is a fascinating to me. But perhaps on your second or third viewing, there is more interesting stuff going on than a man banging his head on another man. <laughs> hey, no. Um, let's talk about the technology. I, know, I understand this might just be my thing, but I love, love, love the portal that we get afforded into another world, the other world being 1996, um, by the the hoops they jumped through, but would have done naturally and it wouldn't have been so much of an effort in order to get around the fact that there's no broadband, basically, um, and no internet, which I just, you know, I love stuff like that. So at this point at Area 51, Jeff Goldblum comes up with the idea of injecting a virus into the alien mothership. And the way he's going to do that is put something that looks like a needle onto a ship and go and dock with the ship. So we put the needle in the ship to transmit the virus. That When you think about technology that we have today, and if, say, I wrote a film and I was like, I'm going to inject a virus into an alien mothership like that, you'd think I was mad. Like, <laughs> there would be so, <laughs> some... But that's pre... That's what the world was, pre-internet, pre brought You had to literally do these things. So when the welcome helicopter... The welcome wagon goes to the alien ship just before it's like really brutally blown up. They do, they have fucking light bulbs on on a blackboard or whatever it is <laughs> because there's no language for we'll transmit a signal. We didn't have that language. I find that fascinating. Again, might just be me. No, no, no. I mean, you've kind of hit on like a major talking point around this movie in terms of what on earth, like people pull apart this idea that Jeff Goldblum somehow using like like his MacBook, let's say, manages to interface <laughs> with alien technology <laughs> yeah. and upload a virus to a ship. And, and he just basically plugs his computer into their computer and goes, bah, 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 and even manages yeah. to send over a skull and crossbones gif. Uh, he goes, yeah. have that as well. It's I'm having so a bit perfect. of fun with this. And he tells him when it's done. It's like, oh, I'm sorry. Was it designed expressly for this? It says virus transmitted. And he's like, 
Da-da, done. It's brilliant. The, <laughs> yeah, isn't the there funny, a suggestion the thing that, is, that, 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 that that crashed uh, alien spacecraft from the 1950s is how we, we got some of our computer technology and therefore... Oh, that would be brilliant. And also the fact that yeah. they're using our satellites means that they are compatible. Whatever they're using is compatible with what we're using so that they, the only reason they could be able to do that. There's yeah. also, you're right, there's also a deleted scene um, of Jeff Goldblum in the office that he likes to ride his bike through earlier in the <laughs> film um, on the extended DVD edition of this movie where he's talking about the alien code that he's trying to figure out early on. And he talks about how it's binary and, and it basically is a series of ones and zeros like our yeah. own binary code, and that's his way in. So they do try, It's they don't just go, eh, screw it. There's an alien <laughs> ship. It's fine. They do try and make it work. It's just like they've taken out the scene that might explain it a bit. <laughs> um, then we've got the scene with the big speech that do not go quietly into the night speech where Bill Pullman sort of rouses people with stirring words before they're going to go and face what could be instant death. Um but then in a very I like to think a very sort of North American touch, he Bill Pullman is also going to fly a plane because they have a deep need for people to be heroes and he can't just be and I'm only saying this because it's just so um it's just it's just not the way we do it and it's so different from British politics and politicking like we like authority but we don't like anything too showy so it is like a primal need to have people protect i understand that and i'm not um not impervious to that but to have the leader of the free world be like save the safer space for me on that death plane is, <laughs> like, is maybe a bit much um the missiles don't work, but Bill Pullman's missile does work because he just wants to try again. And that doesn't make any sense, but I suppose it's because they have but to But it give... works! <laughs> I wrote down that bit. I was like, I have literally written down in front of me, love it that the first missile doesn't go through. It's the, it's it's straight out of the Star Wars playback uh, playbook where they think that, that Han Solo hasn't destroyed the shield uh, generator <laughs> for the Death Star in Return of the Jedi. And they're like, the shield is still operational! And uh, Admiral Ackbar, and then... Um, <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't work as an impression if you have to then say the name afterwards. And <laughs> and then he does it eventually. It's it's that. It's that. You need that moment. You need that light, little bit of doubt, even though in your heart you know it's going to come down. Yeah. Um, and up in space, Jeff Goldblum and Will Smith are also nuking aliens. Randy Quaid, who we haven't talked about, um, redeems himself from his position as like drunk her hallucinating or misbelieved lunatic or, or whatever um by sacrificing himself in front of his kids which is a bit much but okay and that's kind of the end so did either of yeah. you watch the um deleted ending that the unused ending with randy quaid because they it changed quite drastically uh once they tested it no. I am aware of it, but take us take us through it. Yeah, uh, so there's a Christopher. version of it on YouTube with Dean Devlin doing commentary over it. So originally, his character is told that he can't join the mission uh, because he's too drunk, and mm. so what, during the mission, he shows up in his biplane. Um, they ask what he's doing there. He says, "It's okay, sir. I'm packing." And he taps, he pats a, a, a missile that he's duct taped to his plane, <laughs> and. Um, he flies into the spaceship himself in the biplane to save the day. 
And so um, they tested it with audiences and apparently it got a big laugh that moment when he says, it's okay, sir, I'm packing. But he, but it looks so ridiculous when you see his plane flying next to the F-18s um, that people just couldn't take it seriously. <laughs> um, like they've managed to suspend their disbelief for this long and then that just took them over the edge. And plus mm. in this version, in that version with, where he's in the biplane, he's always on the suicide mission. Whereas in this new one, he makes the decision while he's up there, which was a bit more um, dramatic yeah. for the audiences, um, a bit yeah. more emotionally charged. So he said he said that while the other version is the more fun version, it took the drama out of that sacrifice. Yeah, it's. It, I mean, that I, I think it works. The the, the version they have it is the perfect version yeah. for me. There are that moment. There's two moments in this film when I well up, and that is one of them. The first moment is from. The minute the ticking clock ends, which is such a wonderful tool for this first act of this movie, this idea of a clock literally counting down, like so the audience knows when the action is going to start. And Jeff Goldblum, when he goes, time's up, and boom. And that whole sequence from the exploding buildings right through everything uh, to uh, Harvey Fierstein going, going, oh, crap. Uh, to the moment, which is just, what a fantastic last line for that character, to the bit where Vivica Fox is like, kick the door open and just goes, boomer! And the dog jumps through as the explosion goes behind it. I'm in tears (laughs) by the end of that because it is one of those moments that I get in action cinema where emotion, uh, the emotion of the film, the emotional beats and the action on screen sync up so perfectly it's a reflex action that i have to just like be overcome with emotion that's the first moment the second moment is the combination of randy quaid like sacrificing himself with the funny line hello boys i'm back with the image of the plane flying vertically into the blue light those three things combined gone absolutely gone so i was in tears does it it not take something away from the randy quaid stuff now where you realize he was essentially playing himself in this film when when you know what sort of happened to him no i thought no one was going to mention it yeah do not look up anything about randy quaid now and especially randy quaid's use of the line hello boys I'm back, and a Rupert Murdoch mask, and his wife, and <laughs> what? and sex. Yeah. Join the dots. I'm, I not, just, I'm not saying any. I did join the dots, and it's not yeah. what I was expecting. Okay. Yeah, he 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 feels that Rupert Murdoch and Fox screwed him out of money for Independence Day. Um, right. Something along those lines, anyway, allegedly, and he has taken it as a personal slight. He went on the run. And things got weird. Anyway, you can read about it online. I'm not going to go into it here because it detracts from that moment. But there's a video where he screams, hello, boys, I'm back. And it's uh, it's unpleasant. And it's a sex Speaking video. of sex, though, kind mm-hmm. of, yeah. Um, speaking of sex, uh, what do you think of the line, this could be our last night on earth, you don't want to die virgin, do you? Oh, that is bad, yeah. I did. I noticed that. I was like, you, yeah, okay, maybe you don't want to die a virgin. I'll tell you what else you don't want to die is only having had sex once because it's not going to be <laughs> that good. You need to get a few under your belt, take it from me. So mm. you're not going to win in this situation well, either well, I, way. Get I, out I of there. I kind of brought it up because in, it, there's a different version of that and a, a deleted scene or a, a different scene where the girl says... This could be our last night on earth. I don't. I don't want to die a virgin. And the boy says, yep. "If we do die, we'll both die as virgins." So he actually turns her down, which I thought. Um, yeah, that's. But that's that's 
that's that's an additional scene along with the original scene because in the original scene where he the the sleazy guy goes <laughs> you don't want to die virgin um that's a different guy at the end so she gets rid of him he's gone ah. and then she's with a much nicer guy at area 51 huddled away and they think they're going to die and she uses the guy's line on him and he's all like i'm not one of those dudes like the guy who said that to you so don't say that because we're better than that and you're better than that and we're, we're cool and it's like ah oh, she's found someone nice I'm so glad it's not in it because it's fucking awful. <laughs> <laughs> I do think in the, in terms of the deleted scenes, though, one last one, which is uh, when you go through all the deleted scenes, there is a lot more about Randy Quaid and his relationship with his kids, which I think helps you understand that character and mm. his character a little <laughs> better because there's a backstory and like in between his bouts of being drunk, like he is sober enough to have a relationship with his kids and he is kind of nice with them. And there's a sort of to in and fro in about with his eldest son about like, you know, why can he not sort himself out? And there's a great deal more backstory. Well, he's sobering Most up to try and save the life of his youngest kid. His youngest son's very sick. And so... Which uh, is which is the main thing. Yeah. Because like in the, in the version we see... I never knew this, but that when that kid gets out of the um, RV and throws up at the side of the road, I'm like, oh, he's travel sick. He yeah. must be travel sick. Yeah, no, is that not what he's it is? Not. No, he's dying. He's oh. got a problem. Yeah, he's got a problem with his adrenal cortex, and he is on the way out. And when they get to Area 51, Randy Quaid pins a doctor up against the wall and goes, you've got to save my son. So wow. he does care. But yeah, it's like... Oh yeah, I without... thought he was... Do you know what else I thought? And I thought, it's, this is a bit weird, but it sort of works. I thought he was hungover. <laughs> <laughs> I know he's like 12 I know but Randy Quaid is a bad dad so I thought yeah. we'd just let him get pissed yeah. <laughs> and your kids are a nightmare when they're hungover right? <laughs> they just eat everything it's outrageous yeah. get them under a duvet on the sofa put Independence Day on <laughs> tell them Uncle Alex will be round I'll talk them through it yeah. You know when you say something and then immediately wish you hadn't? Welcome. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's yeah. good. Okay. Um, weird, weird bit of, one last bit of weird trivia. Randy Quaid and Margaret Collin previously starred together in another Alien Invasion movie, 1989's comedy Martians Go Home. Uh, just found <laughs> it out. Trailer's on YouTube. It looks terrible. Don't watch it. I've saved you some time. There we go. Thanks. Do you want to do the bits? I have uh, one piece of a business um, that I very much enjoyed discovering through my research this week. So um, uh, Arthur C. Clarke wrote a book called 3001, The Final Odyssey, and that was published in 1997, which is a year after Independence Day. And in the sources and acknowledgements segment, segment of that book, I want to read you what he wrote. Uh, he said, I've been intrigued to learn that the finale of Independence Day, which I've not yet seen, involves the use of a computer viruses as Trojan horses. I cannot decide whether to congratulate the scriptwriters on their stroke of originality or to accuse them of the transtemporal crime of precognitive plagiarism. In any event, I fear there's nothing I can do to stop John Q. Popcorn thinking that I've ripped off the end of Independence Day. <laughs> so, wow, so Arthur C. Clarke was so angry that they had the same ending. He claimed that they'd stolen from him in the future. Brilliant! There's nothing like <laughs> taking something with elegance, is there? And grace. It just. Um, I I think I think in a in a real first for the show. Um, 
I also have an Arthur C. Clarke bit of trivia, which <laughs> seems ridiculous. But the, the I when I was a kid, I read an Arthur C. Clarke novel named Childhood's End, uh, which involves giant spaceships appearing over all the major cities of the world, a lot like Independence Day. Um, so he 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 might have a he might have a case there, my Arthur. Yeah, but, that was uh, another bit. That was the less interesting homage. bit of this quote, which I didn't bother reading okay. out. But oh. um, <laughs> yeah, I think well, the argument you know what, is like, that I'm a, I'm a completionist. <laughs> I think the argument is that a lot of science fiction has done that, especially War of the Worlds, um, which had a spacecraft mm. hovering over Earth and b a virus taking down the aliens. So um, ultimately, it's all ripped off. And. Um, Final thing then, just before the bits, very quickly, uh, is anyone aware of Independence Day UK? Uh, no. Which um, Radio 1 did a uh, radio movie uh, to, in conjunction with Independence Day uh, about what happened in London while Independence Day, the film, was happening in the US. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, yeah. A radio movie. Um uh, Dean Devlin gave the radio movies producer permission to produce an original radio adaptation, uh, provided that he did not reveal certain details of the movie's plot and that he did not depict the British as saving the day. Um, <laughs> uh, it stars um, uh, Radio 1 DJ's uh, Nicky Campbell. And Mar- <laughs> Sold! I'm in! Uh, uh, Mark Goodyear uh, is also in it. Um, Toya Wilcox plays Flight Lieutenant <laughs> Becky Johnson. Um, uh, former Doctor Who Colin Baker plays Group Captain <laughs> Phil Johnson. Uh, mm-hmm. Peter Serafinowitz is Flight Lieutenant Max Brett. And the, spe- the special alien effect, um, which I, I guess is the Frank Welker role, uh, is provided by Danny Minogue. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it also uh, it, it mirrors um, a scene where um, uh, an alien is attacked by one of the cast, uh, just like Will Smith. Will Smith does "Welcome to Earth" in the movie, except that the alien uh, in the radio play has a fight with uh, acclaimed astronomer Patrick Moore. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> he has a fight with an alien in it, uh, and it ends with an RAF man commenting that when this is over and done with, and we defeated these monsters. The Yanks will take credit for it. You wait and see. <laughs> Which, uh, to me, feels a little bit like him going, right, Dean Devlin, so the British didn't do it, but I'm going to put that in. Have that, yeah. <laughs> well, the Brits do come um, across as wallies in this film, don't they? Um, yeah, they do. Oh, I actually, because I was going to say, I, actually, I wasn't going to say it, but I will. I actually know the guy that plays the Brit in this film because he's in a lot of the Christopher. <laughs> Ge- he's a lot in a lot of the Christopher Guest movies, and he he lives in LA, but he comes over to London to watch Crystal Palace quite a lot and sits by me. So I've had a a chat with him, and next time I will ask him because he's he's called Reginald in the credits, but his uniform says he's called Alec Kingsley. So that is a mystery that needs to be solved Ooh. in Independence Day. And did he did he find out where you were sitting in the stadium and ask for a chair near you, or was it happy coincidence? <laughs> happy coincidence. I think right. you've got to have a good sense uh, of humour to support Palace. <laughs> he's um, yeah, that whole bit where um, your friend 
uh, as I'm going to call him from now, uh, appears mm. and they're having that conversation. Just the, it's the accents. It's like, oh my God. dial it up to 11. You know, like <laughs> for, for one of a Christopher Guest reference. Um, yeah, where he goes, <laughs> it's from the Americans. They're trying to organize a, a fight. And the, he goes, well, it's about bloody time. <laughs> you just it's like, oh, come on. <laughs> I mean, in fairness, it's not just us because the Russians are all huddled, like we're like wearing what look like old Russian submarine costumes, like huddled around the radio, <laughs> smoking as much as possible. Yeah, we haven't addressed the fact that this is essentially American propaganda. This entire movie, but <laughs> it's so, so be it. Uh, great. Right, bits. Um, yeah. Best scene, please, Chris. Um. I well, I obviously, as you said, Vicky, the visual effects in this film are amazing. Um, <laughs> they won the Academy Award for best visual effects that year. Um, Is that true? <laughs> it's true. It's true. But well said. Well said. I think you're judging them by 2020s uh, standards rather than 1996s, as they had to. Possibly. Um, possibly. So yeah. I'm. Gonna... I mean, Armageddon came out before this, and its effects were much better. <laughs> So uh, I'm going to say that <laughs> I'm going to say a scene from the film, but not because of the film, because of the trailer, the White House blowing up because of what a monumental shot that was. And there's it's it's interesting to watch it behind the scenes. They they built a 50 grand model that was about five feet high and 14 feet long. They shot it in 300 frames per second, and they only had one go at it. So you know you wonder what would have happened if they'd messed that up, but they nailed it. And yeah, it's it's the most memorable moment in this film, in my opinion. Okay. Uh, Alex, what's your best scene? Um, uh, ditto with Chris. Um, I'm generalising. I think I said it earlier. The the moment the countdown ends and Jeff Goldblum says, time's up, <clears throat> right, to Boomer jumping through the door as the tunnel explodes. Um, it's, it's just, it makes me cry. Um, re- a reflex action. I'm not trying to cry, um, but I do... I do well up at that moment. It's when it's, I think it might be something to do with a combination of like practical effects and, uh, and special and, and CGI. I don't know. Yeah. Just, like I said, like I said, it's, it's the, it's the emotion and the action combined perfectly. And it happens with a couple of nineties, like movies for me, the bit where the helicopter goes over the edge in the matrix and Neo mouths Trinity makes me cry. And um, the bit where the jump, uh, the bus makes the jump in speed. That makes me cry. <laughs> I, I know it sounds ridiculous, but you, you watch me watching that movie. I can't help it. Anyway, so the destruction. I understand. You're talking about a reflex action. So it's like when other people are sad, they cry. And I know that that's not what happens to you. So you mm. just get the same thing when you see speed. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Did Patrick Bateman have the same thing? I'm pretty sure he did. <laughs> Um, I'm gonna pick. Um, I'm gonna pick the speech apart from let's just say humankind, not mankind. But it's Bill Pullman, so I forgive him. Chris, don't give me a bollocking about being PC, otherwise we will fall out. Okay. Good. It doesn't just trip off the tongue. Shut up! Does it? it does. It oh, does. No. Mankind. It's not mankind, dude. No, I know. Um, it's just. It's about. It's about rhythm, though. The amount of syllables. This, I, you, I get you. Uh, okay. I get you. I'm on your side. I'm on your side. Are you? Uh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, no, I know. I'm sorry. I'm having a go at you. Um, MVW, please, Alex. 
uh, Will Smith, uh, for all the reasons I, I said earlier, he just embodies the tone of Independence Day perfectly. I think you could take, as much as I wouldn't want to, because I think they're great, uh, Margaret Collin, uh, you could take uh, Bill Pullman, you could take Jeff Goldblum even out of this movie and you'd still have a great movie. I genuinely believe if you took Will Smith out of this film, it, you wouldn't have a, a film that was in any way as good because you wouldn't have that guy who delivers exactly what this film needs in one character and one performance of bridging serious and stupid, but always buying into what is happening on screen, buying into the movie and saying, it's okay, audience, I'm with you, but this is serious. There are aliens, but I'm with you. Isn't that ridiculous? I'm going to make a joke about it, but this is serious. We're being attacked <laughs> by aliens. And that's that's great. I interviewed Will Smith um, and taught, we, we did this show on Sky where we play out all the biggest moments of an actor's career. And one of the moments we played Will Smith when I sat down with him to talk about this was um, was the moment where he fights the alien and what have you. But he did say, because I, I said to him, uh, you know, it's weird because I know it's an ensemble cast, this movie, but I do, when I sort of think about Independence Day, I go, oh, the Will Smith film. Like, it just trips off the tongue. You do think it's a Will Smith movie, despite all the other names that are in it, because I guess it's the movie that made him a movie star. But he did say that it was after Independence Day that people started calling him Mr. Smith as opposed to just Will. <laughs> That's a good fact. Um, what's your MVW, Chris? My uh, most valuable ever is uh, the same as Alex, Will Smith, um, for all the reasons Alex said. And, uh, you know, as I said, you're watching a guy become a movie star in front of your eyes. So, yeah, just it's so cool to see a guy taking his shot and, and nailing it. And, and yeah. yeah, this turned him into Mr. Fourth of July as well. It became his... Until Wild Wild West, it became his uh, his weekend in America. <laughs> um, I am going to go for Judd Hirsch as Jeff Goldblum's dad mm. because it, given that there's quite a lot going on with Jeff Goldblum and he's got a really like um, decent subplot with his ex-wife going on to ha and also to have your dad be the foil when you're a grown man is quite unusual. Like to be able to, Jeff Goldblum is voicing his thoughts and having a bit of back and forth and comedic spark with his dad and it does feel a bit weird when they're on air force one it's like why have you brought your dad but it definitely works because of how good judge hirsch is in that role so yeah him for me um and if you could make one change chris what would you do um can women be heroes um if so let, <laughs> let, let a woman help with Sorry. saving the world maybe they can I'm let them sorry. get stuck in Oh, do you see how that statement puts you back to neutral? You've started with, <laughs> can women be heroes? Don't say it's, that bit. It, it's, a humorous, it's a humorous rhetorical question because, of course, women can be heroes. Therefore, let a woman be a hero in this film and, and help with saving the world. All right. Thank you. <laughs> I can't believe I've got to translate my bloody... Jokes now. <laughs> <laughs> like we can, if you have to explain it you've done it wrong Alex what's your change women can't be heroes <laughs> so <laughs> no uh, weirdly mine is kind of related to what uh, Chris is saying um but maybe I've maybe now I haven't gone far enough with mine because I've sort of taken into account when the movie was made and what it is. And and so I do agree that um, I think both, I, I think actually it's a movie that gives um, uh, the female characters, or at least everyone but the first lady, um, 
quite a bit to do uh, in the first half. I think, you know, Vivica Fox is very like, um, you know, like I'm going to save my kid. I'm going to save my dog. Will Smith's absent. He's pissed off somewhere. And she's like doing, she gets a, a truck and she starts saving other people. And she's really proactive. Um, although there is another deleted scene, which thank God they cut, where she's driving the truck through the rubble of Los Angeles. And there's a religious nut there with a tattered Bible and his clothes all burnt off. This is after the attack. And he's got a crucifix that he's tattooed on his own forehead. And he's going, the end is nigh. It's come. We're all doomed. He's brought this on us. And it's scary. And she goes, we're going to El Toro. Do you want to get in the truck? <laughs> You're like, <laughs> what? It's like too nice. Now you've made her too nice because he's terrifying. Don't get him in the truck. So, I think they've got loads to do in the first half, which makes the fact that they just become cheerleaders for mm. Jeff Goldblum and Will Smith in the second half quite difficult to stomach. But let's say that's happened and that's how the movie was written and you have given them a great first half. I think there is one minor change in the second half that would really make them better. And it's when they're being driven up to Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum in the truck at mm. the very end. And Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum are walking towards them with their cigars like, we're heroes, fine. But when the women get out of the truck and start running towards their men because they're so pleased that they've come back to earth and survived. I think they should start running back towards the women too. <laughs> That's so, so it's true. Like, they it's just, just wait, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> they're just like, get over here. Give me some sugar. Yeah, I saved the world. Don't, mind the cigar. These are expensive. Yeah, come on. Give me a kiss. Now I'm having some cigar. Do you it's think they like, would compare? And he's like, look how quick your one's going. Yeah, I know, she's fast, <laughs> isn't she? Should we start running? No, no, no. They'll come to uh, us. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but it's honestly, it just sort of, it's a parity. It means like, you know, why are they not as excited to be back in the arms of their partners as like Vivica Fox and Margaret Cullen are? I just think that tiny change would have made, because even as a kid, I remember going, oh, arrogant Fox. Like, <laughs> like as a kid going, but, you know, get get in there. Give her a hug. So, <laughs> so anyway, that's my change. I like that. Um, my change is similarly small, but would change my enjoyment of the film. And is it, it's, um, can Jeff Goldblum please take off that horrible wooden necklace? Because it makes, <laughs> <laughs> it makes him look like a yoga instructor turned sexual predator. And I can't bear it. <laughs> It's so true. I wrote down wooden necklace. I was like, I was like, well, have you just got back from your gap yard? Why yeah. have you got that on still? Like, it ruins idiot. him. It's horrible. Yeah. He is a very, very attractive man. But that necklace, it's oh yuck. Take it off. Yeah, or at least include are. a scene where like a sick child made it for him in a competition to make him a neck. I like, well, I, I, you know, there's a reason why he has to wear that atrocity. That, that horrible, horrible necklace. He, oh, because he's the perfect man for me. He loves ice. You know how much I fucking love ice, but I can't mm. bear that necklace. Are we calling? Are we calling ice a drink? Because that's just the same. <laughs> he loves a drink, and you know how much, you know how much I love a drink. <laughs> Oh, I would. That yeah, that'll do as well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's the bit where she tries to hide the whiskey from him in the fridge, and he's just like, "Ah, "Don't bother," because I know where you hid it. Not that drunk. It's in the fridge where you just put it. So I'm going to get it and drink more of it. (laughs) Oh, I think we're done. Excellent news. Uh, Christopher, do you have a quahaz for has? I do. I have a quiz and it is called uh, Name That Alien. 
And okay. um, there's only six of them before anyone starts complaining. You've got six to Me, do this you week. mean? <laughs> <laughs> naming no names. Naming no names. <laughs> Before you start complaining about Why all the hard work I've put in. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So you simply have to uh, name this movie Alien. I don't want the name of the movie. I want the name of the alien in the movie. Uh, starting off with the first clue. Uh, this alien is a giant Venus flytrap that talks and sings and feeds Audrey 2 oh. Audrey 2 correct Alex Audrey 2 I would have accepted Audrey Jr or Audrey 2 because in the original Little Shop of Horrors she's Audrey Jr correct uh, second oh, one okay. um, this alien can split into two s- smaller twin aliens Station Station correct from Bill and Ted's yeah. bogus journey <laughs> oh uh, this dude is an evil general who wants to wipe out the Thermian race. Oh, oh God, what's his name? It's from John, Galaxy it's, Quest. Yeah, John Travolta. No. Oh. John Travolta? <laughs> Not John Travolta. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bloody you're hell. Talking about, you're talking about Turl from no. <laughs> Battlefield yeah, yeah. Earth. Yes, I yeah. am. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you are. Right. Oh dear. I might. I might sit this one out. That's a tough one. Gen- General G- General Krang. It General is. Krang. It is. Uh, it's not General John Travolta. It is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's Rothar Saris. Saris was the name we were looking for. Okay, Damn this it. one might be more for you, Vicky. I'm hoping. Um, this character okay. is a genetically engineered alien that gets mistaken for a dog. He is bulletproof, um, fireproof, can think faster than a supercomputer. He can see in the dark and can move objects at least 3,000 times his size. His only instinct is to destroy whatever he touches. He lives in Hawaii and he really likes the music of Elvis. What? He's a, he's a he's dog. A dog? He looks like a dog. He gets mistaken for a dog. It's a kid's film. It's a Disney film. Um, oh, Stitch. Correct. Yay! <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Stitch <laughs> Thank from you. Lilo and Stitch. Uh, I would have accepted Experiment 626 as well for that one. Uh, <laughs> number five. Um, this alien is a fucking prawn. <laughs> oh, oh, it's a District fu- 9. District 9. Oh. Wickus. 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 Shit. Yeah, he, he becomes a prawn at the end. I don't know what the actual prawn is called. No. Oh, come- wait, I do. It's... um. It's something like Donald or Jeremy, yeah. like something he's really got, normal. He's got a weirdly English name. <laughs> oh, shit. Derek. Oh, Leonard. <laughs> um, I don't know, but I, I know it, so I'm having the point whether you like it or not. You're not having the point. Uh, unfortunately, you didn't get Christopher Johnson. Arthur. Oh. <laughs> okay, we've got the final one here, and the score is 2-1 to Alex, so you could draw it level, Vicky, and I'll do a tiebreaker okay. if you do. So this alien looks a bit like a penis and wiped out half the the universe with a snap of his fingers. (laughs) Thanos. Correct. (laughs) That is not what I was thinking of. It does look like a penis. You're right. (laughs) 3-1 to Alex. Well played. That was intense. That was, yeah. That was good good tension. And... all right, then. That is the end of Independence Day. Thank you very much for joining us as we went through uh, this blockbuster extravaganza. We're going to be back on Thursday to meet our challenger, 
Mars attacks, exclamation mark. And before then, though, a couple of pieces of business. First of all, Chris, I think you have an email that you'd like to read out. Don't forget, you can email us here at ClashPod, which is show at ClashPod.com. Chris? Yeah, we got a lovely email from Jamie Melville, who's a graphic designer, who actually uh, did us some artwork which is beautiful. Mm. Uh, I had a look at Jamie's site. He's really good at what he does, so check him out. But um, yeah, a really lovely bit of art. I might be a bit too busy for our thumbnail, but it's a lovely piece. Do not agree, Alex. I love it. Yeah, I really liked it. So um, thank you very much, We love a bit of art. And we Um, also got a tweet, actually, that I liked uh, from Katie this week, um, who said, I'm absolutely creasing up at this week's Clash Pod. We'll be using the phrase self-righteous spice as much as possible in daily conversations. <laughs> <laughs> Why, does she know me? <laughs> Have we met? <laughs> so thank you, Katie. And um, we, we record about a week in advance, but I just there's a bit of news today that I thought was quite interesting. Um, so this will probably be two weeks back by the time it is this, but the top two films at the box office in America at the moment are Jurassic Park and Jaws. Oh, really? Yeah. They've both been re-released. So I guess whoever's programming cinemas in America has been paying attention to Clash of the Titles. (laughs) Oh, thank God. At last. Um, Great stuff. Um, Like I said at the start, please do get in touch with us on Twitter. We're at ClashPod. And if you have two seconds to spare, do give us a rating on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, You can subscribe to us. We'd love that too. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, Wait, 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 wait. wait, I was (laughs) going... I was gonna do it. I was just separating it out with a little bit of it. Did you not hear me say Victoria? With no. Victoria, Victoria. <laughs> what about the clues for next week's show? Because you know, right. it was a clue. We're gonna guess what movies we're doing next week. I was gonna remember, guys. You gotta have a little faith. Sorry. Uh, all right. Do you want the clue? You'll never get it. But it's a good clue. So the clue is: I'm gonna live forever. I'm gonna learn how to fly. Second clue is it's not fame, okay? It's more abstract than that. But the clue is sound, or the clue is good, all right? So I'm going to live forever. I'm going to learn how to fly. There you go. Highlander. Wait, no. No. uh, Fame. Fame. (laughs) (laughs) We'll be back on Thursday to talk through Mars Attacks. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. This was a Stakhanov production. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.